The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. Okay, praise God. Um, so, last week I began teaching uh, from Ephesians, and we looked at what it in chapter 1, he says in verse 3, which is really the foundation and the premise for the whole book, that we've been blessed uh, with all blessings. And I'll put it up on the board here. But um, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Well, that's a pretty good deal, huh? In heavenly places in Christ. All right? So we're in the heavenly places. Now, um, Ephesians. Um, down in verse 20, of course, I know I'm skip, skipping some stuff here, but just bear with me as we get the ball rolling. Down in verse 20, he says, uh, which he brought about in Christ. Now notice this, Ephesians 1.20. So in, so in verse 3, he says we've been uh, blessed with all blessings, seated in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. And then we, we looked at how the Jewish concept of the firstborn's blessing, right? And so Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation. He's the firstborn of many brethren, right? So we're no, we're no longer servants per se, or only servants. You remember Jesus told the disciples, he said, uh, you're, you're not just servants or slaves, he said, because the servant doesn't know what's in the master's heart and mind. He said, but I call you friends. So Abraham's not the only friend of God. Can you dig it? Yeah. All right. So, so yeah. So the firstborn blessing has been bestowed upon Jesus, and we are in Jesus. Now, this is crucial to understand that the new covenant is a covenant between the Father and the Son. So, technically speaking, it's not like I'm in covenant with God or you're as an individual, all right? So I can't break covenant with God because it's not my covenant to begin with. You know what I'm saying? It's between the Father and the Son. But we have been resurrected into the person of the Son, all right? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. All right? Amen. And then other scriptures uh, uh, speak of Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says that he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. All right? Other scriptures, it says when Christ, who is our life. Yeah. So Jesus is our life. He's our truth. He's our identity. Yeah. He is our actual reality. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is, like he said again, and we mentioned it a moment ago, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So that's a pretty good deal. And he says here that he brought this great power about in Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, when he raised him from the dead, now notice this, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And again, what did verse 3 say? We are in Christ, blessed with all blessings, in heavenly places. So where Jesus is, we are. That's a good deal, right? Yeah. Now, this is going to be, again, a little painful, but I think it'll be well worth it. I, I have a little direction I wanted to go in today, but I'll, just during worship here, I felt like the Lord uh, sort of tweaked the direction to go in here on me a little bit. So we're going to do that. But I want to look here to begin in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 16. Thank God's so good, it's just ridiculous. You know? Well, thank you for your hearty enthusiasm. God is so good, it's just ridiculous. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Verse 16. I'm pretty sure we took the Presbyterian sign off the door. So, so you're a... God bless our Presbyterian mothers. Uh, verse 16 here. 
Paul says, I do not cease giving thanks for you. Now notice what he says here. While making mention of you in my prayers. Now we know, like, I assume Paul, if you, if you want to say it this way, you know, we say talking about your prayer life, right? I assume Paul's prayer life was good stuff. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, we know in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, I thank God that I pray in tongues more than you all. So we know he was a holy roller. One of those good old tongue talkers, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, and then we see in Galatians that he spent years uh, learning the gospel from Jesus himself. That is cool, man. Jesus teaches us, you know? Jesus will personally teach us stuff. Now, but you would think like, I mean, just think about like, it would be awesome to have like a YouTube clip or like a CD or like a, a podcast of one of Paul's sermons. You know what I mean? Now you can read in the book of Acts and see him like doing some stuff, you know, and that's incredible. Uh, but it would be pretty incredible to be like, you know, hey man, did you hear Paul's sermon? You know, like, yeah, it fell out of heaven and it's on my iPhone. So, you know, like, here you go, this is Paul preaching, you know. Um, that kind of reminded me, a friend of mine uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, his name's Alan Taylor. He preached some kind of a message on healing. Wonderful, incredible guy, man of God. Um, have any of you ever happened to hear of a, a minister by the name of Dave Roberson? Incredible. You guys know Dave? Yeah. Awesome man. He's in Dave's ministry. But he has his own ministry, but he's with Dave, you know, in Tulsa. Alan is. He used to work for Norval, that's how I um Alan had some sort of, you know, this was when there were tapes too, you know, a tape on healing. And that tape was given to a lady, and I one of my best friend in Tennessee uh, was close friends with Alan, so this isn't like something that may or may not be true. I know these faithful people, these God-fearing, God-loving, Bible-believing ministers of the gospel who have shared this with me, you know, and I know Alan. But anyways, Alan's teaching, his particular teaching, whatever it was on healing, uh, was given to a lady who uh, was, she only spoke Spanish. She didn't speak English, she didn't know no English, nothing. Just, I speak Spanish, I read Spanish, I understand Spanish. She probably knew as much English as we do Spanish, you know, agua, and, you know, la leche, mesa, you know, a few little here and there, but she didn't speak or understand English. But whatever she had, and I can't remember if it was, uh, I want to say it was deafness in one ear, but it was something pretty significant, whatever it was. But that was given to her, and she listened to that teaching, and through listening to a teaching, God healed by the power of God. She didn't even know what was being said. I mean, man, that's incredible, right? This is the power of Jesus at work. And, but you know, we can, we have some of Paul's messages here in the scripture, and of course we have his epistles and that type of thing. Um, but you even think about his prayer life, you know? And it would be cool, like, you know, Apostle Paul, you know, having a prayer meeting at whatever, you know, the glory center. Like, this little room wouldn't hold all of, you know, the world that would fly in to be at Paul's prayer meeting, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's my church, so I would be here on the front row. <laughs> <laughs> it's our church. You would all be in here. But I know most of you wouldn't dare, dare venture to the front row because, you know, <laughs> we can't do that. I know, I'm, you know, you guys are brave. You've, you've been through the school of hard knocks. You can take anything. They've been to the Congo. They can handle a front row, right? Like, right. It takes what it takes. But you know, right here, we literally have an account of Paul's prayer life. And this is Paul praying for the saints, the people of God, all right? And of course, this is a prayer that I, you know, we can pray for ourselves. You know, I, I had a, a friend, a lady named uh, Lori O'Hara, and boy, she's a, a incredible woman of God. She's missing a chunk of her spine, and she's about this, probably about this tall, a uh, friend of mine, who cares, Lori, Miss Lori, and uh, medically, she 
she can't walk. She's missing it because she was born with, uh, perhaps, yeah, I'm sorry, significantly. But um, she, she got saved and uh, when she was an adult and she met the Lord and she learned from the scriptures. Nobody taught her on the hospital bed. She came out of a, a sort of a, what I understood to be a nominal Catholic background uh, and then meets Jesus for sure in the hospital. And then she had an encounter where she went to heaven and all this stuff. But uh, she came back into her body and still couldn't walk or anything, you know, and could walk. I mean, you keep, you know, if I, if I was if I didn't have this hand, it would be that impossible to say, Jordan, pick up that cup with your hand. It's just not possible. It's not possible for her to walk, and then she does. You know, it's just incredible. And uh, Lori would say all the time, pray the scriptures. And that, you know, I, you know that, that's pretty good advice. Yes. Pray the scriptures. You know, especially if you don't know what else to say, you know, pray the scriptures. You know, just take God, Lord, good morning. Lord, thank you. This is the day that you have made. I rejoice, and I'm glad in it. The scriptures are inspired. They're life. You know what I mean? They're life-giving. God is on and in the scriptures, you know? Faith comes through hearing God's truth, God's word. And so in the same way, we can pray the scriptures. And so, uh, Lord, thank you that your mercies are new every morning. You know, you just start praying the scriptures, and then we'll just start rolling. Lord, thank you that you are my shepherd. Hallelujah. And I do not lack for what? Just... You get the point. but So we see Paul's prayer here. And then he says here, this is his prayer, verse uh, 16. I'm making mention of you in my prayers. What do you pray, Paul? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul prays that the saints in Ephesus would have a supernatural, sometimes we say, I got a revelation. Man, one time God gave me a revelation on healing, and I've been believing God ever since, and I know how, you know, whatever. Revelation on, you know, being a better parent or a better spouse or uh, whatever, you know. God gave me a revelation. And so Paul is praying here literally that God would give the, the saints of God the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And the knowledge of Jesus. The knowledge of God is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jesus is the capital R revelation of God. Amen. He's the Word of God. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. That's, of course, the Greek word logos is where we get our word logic. Jesus is God's logic. He's the way God thinks. He's the way God feels about people and situations. He's the way God reasons and processes through, you know what I'm saying? Um, he's, he's God's, he's the Father and the Spirit's mental faculty. He is the revelation of God. And so anything that God reveals to us will be Jesus' truths. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Jesus, so it, and even in all these dynamics, we understand healing isn't just some abstract thing, but Jesus himself is God's healing power. Amen. Jesus himself is God's provision. Jesus himself is salvation. I mean, his name, Yeshua, for crying out loud, is salvation. His name shall be called salvation, the, the, the angel said, you know. And so... It's a revelation, a supernatural understanding, a revealing of Jesus. All right? So everything is wrapped up in the knowledge of him. Look at verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, your inner man, that part of you where uh, when God talks to you, that part of you when God shows you something in here somewhere, you know that place? That part where you get caught up in prayer and you and God are hanging out and he's talking to you and you're you're in the same frequency and you're picking up what he's saying all that good stuff that place he says that it may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling now notice this and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance now notice that what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance so it's now what did he say in the verse prior to this wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him and then he says here his inheritance so paul wants us god wants us 
to have a wisdom and revelation supernaturally from God in our heart on a continual progressive basis in the knowledge of him and his inheritance. Why? Because his inheritance is our inheritance. As he is, so am I in this world, is another way to say it. Are you out there? So he wants us, and notice what he says here, where is this inheritance? Of his, well it's hard to see, I'm sorry. Of his inheritance, where is his inheritance? In the saints. In the saints. You know, Paul spoke in Romans 8 that uh, the, the trouble and the difficulties and all these things that we go through in, the, in this world and in this life are not worthy to even be compared to the glory that shall be revealed where? In us. Alright? In purpose, Christ in you is the hope of glory. You go all through the scriptures and look at many of these in Him, the righteousness of God in Christ. Blessed with all blessings in Christ, all right? So it's his inheritance in the saints. <clears throat> That's good stuff. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So when were we saved? 2,000 years ago. When were we healed? 2,000 years ago. When were we blessed and provided for? 2,000 years ago. So faith is about receiving what's already there. God wants us to see through the spirit of wisdom and revelation this inheritance that belongs to us in and through Jesus. So it's not about, per se, getting more blessed but about seeing the blessing that already belongs to us. Amen. And this is why we, and I know Jim, Jim had talked to me, Jim Byrne, about the, some time ago when I was teaching on Jesus the Healer, about how he had never seen it in that light before. Uh, and I think it's good to always reiterate this, but an example of this would be healing and how healing is, is part of the atoning work. Nice. It's not just something that God randomly throws out you know, you know, it's part of the deal. It's part of the package. Forgiveness was provided at the cross. Healing's provided at the cross. Eternal life's provided at the cross. You know what I'm saying? Authority over Satan and the works of darkness. Are, these things are part of the package, man. And we so cheapen this expression, God help us, we have so cheapened and just... I could, I could cuss in tongues, you know what I mean? We have just so... We have so... Cheapen. Um, you know, are you saved? What do you mean? Well, you know, did you pray a prayer and got your ticket to heaven? Well, thank God for the ticket to heaven. I am not, boy, I that's good stuff. Don't get me wrong. But are you saved? Well, and what do you mean by saved? I don't know. <laughs> I may not be what you think of as saved. Are you a sinner saved by grace? No, I'm not. I'm not that saved. I was a sinner, but I've been saved delivered, resurrected out of Satan's dominion, out of the power of sin, out of all realms of darkness, and I have become a resurrection life possessing, seated at the right hand of the Father in Jesus, righteous, holy, blameless, blessed, healed, prosperous child of God, then yes, I'm happy to say Hallelujah. That's the same that I am, baby. Amen. Where do they find this guy? I don't know. Now notice this. Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now notice this, one of my favorite verses, tattooed on the inside of my eyelids, far above, far above, all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, 
not only in this age, which was speaking of the pre-70 AD age, while the temple still stood, but in the age to come, Hebrews chapter 6 speaks of the powers of the age to come. Jesus talked in multiple places about, to the, to the Pharisees, this age or the age to come, what's he talking about? Old covenant age versus new covenant age. The age to come, so we have been seated in Christ far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Well, Jordan, does that mean like the kingdoms of the world and the fallen man way of thinking and kingdoms of the world? Does it mean the devil? All rule. Jordan, does it mean demonic rule and authority? All rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. I love that. Above every name. Satan, that's a name. I mean, you know what I mean. That's, that's, that's a title, a name. Cancer is a name. Depression's a name. Every name. Back problems is a name. Above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but the age to come. Then he says this. And he's put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body. So if we are his body and all things are under his feet, then all these fallen darkness, demonic, etc. things are under us because they're under his feet and we're part of his body. I don't know why I'm using my arm as a body, but it's under it. All right. So which is his body. The church is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the fullness of God, no one man has all the answers, all the power, all the gift. But all that God has, has been deposited in his body. You know what I'm saying? So Brother Hagen didn't have it all. Augustine didn't have it all. God knows John Calvin didn't have it all. I mean, you know, Joseph Prince didn't have it all. Martin Luther didn't have it all. Jordan doesn't have it all. But somewhere in the body, there's the answers. And I love body ministry. You know, I love defaulting to someone who has a grace gift that I don't have. And I love saying, Ray and Jane, pray for them. Roxanne, pray for them. Jason, pray for them. Tamara, pray, you know, whatever. Just whatever I may feel at that moment or however God's moving, man, it's 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 the body. It's the all in all. You know what I'm saying? It might be the worship team sings and it might be Lillian singing and a certain, I mean, just, oh, God, it's good. It's the body, man. The body of Christ, all things in all. So he's praying here for a revelation that we would have a revelation of all these glorious things, this glorious power this resurrection life, this resurrection reality that's deposited in the body. Where that coffee looks good. <laughs> I don't think you have to be on. Thank you. All right. Now, here's what I want to kind of switch gears on. And by the way, I'm in Ephesians, but uh, I, I, if I called this particular part of Ephesians today anything, um, I would call it eyes to see. Eyes to see. So he wants us to see the blessing that belongs to us. Fair enough? All right. Um, I, I want to... Let's turn to the book of Revelation. And boy, I don't even know if I have that in here. I hope I do. Somewhere. Yes. Hallelujah. You know, Scripture continually exhorts on what do you see, if I can say it that way, on, on what we see, all right? Think about Abraham. God brings him out to teach him. You know, he said, Abraham, look at and number the stars. So he, so he gave him a visual <clears throat> representation. He said, Abraham, trying to number, declare, uh, call, count the stars is what it will be like for you to try to count your seed, all right? And we know he, he gave him this, the, you know, if you could count the sand of the sea or the stars of the sky, that's the natural seed, the Jewish people, but then it was fulfilled in the heavenly seed, the spiritual seed, the body of Christ, right? And so we see those realities. Uh, Jeremiah 17 is one of my favorite places I love, where, where it says, cursed is the man who depends on the arm of the flesh, and when the good comes, he can't even see it. 
He's surrounded by people today, body of Christ, blood-bought, resurrected, spirit-filled, devil-stomping, Bible-carrying, scripture, hallelujah, people of God. And here we are acting like everybody and everything is going to hell in a handbasket. And we got the answer living inside of us. Amen? The only right we have is one of optimism and hope. Peter said that even in the midst of sufferings, unjust sufferings, he said, you need to have a hope for the answer that lies within you, for the hope, for the joy, an answer. I said that backwards, an answer for the hope that lies within you. And they, in America, we don't know persecution like they knew persecution in the first century. The believers who were being persecuted by the Jews at first and the Romans who were putting them to death, crucifying them, beheading them, stoning them. I mean, it was not safe to be a Christian. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, but they, like in Acts chapter 5, even in the midst of being beaten and stoned and whipped and persecuted and lied about and all these things, they, it says that they rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer for his name's sake. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Got another one? You know what I mean? They were worthy. You know, Paul and Silas are in jail. And they just can't help it. I don't think they pulled out their, okay, what do you do when you're in a tough spot? It's okay to start there. you got to start somewhere. But I think they just, they were just caught up. They, oh, hey, hey, man, hey, yeah, yeah, this is, you've been in this jail before for preaching? Oh, yeah, yeah. In my favorite cell, you know. <laughs> yeah, praise God. God's good, isn't he, Silas? Paul, I'm telling you, he is. Paul, isn't it amazing that God took you out of where you were? You, you were the, the chief bad dude, and here you are. God, Silas, I know, man. He appeared to me that day. I just can't believe it. That's awesome. Lord, we just bless. And they got to praising God, and God was listening in, and I just spit everywhere. And God got, they were, they were, with me. God, peace be upon you, son. Hallelujah. Thank you, brother. That's a good man right there. And he's single. All right. Thank you. <laughs> is a good one. I was, you know, really. Um, you know, they get to worshiping God here, and, and God's listening in, you know, and uh, God gets to tap in his foot. And that's good stuff. Paul, I love you, buddy. Silas, God, I love you, son. I don't guess he said, God, I love you. He'd say, man, me, I love you, son. You know, just, and I sit there praising God with him and tapping his foot, and then, power of God hits that place and that jail cell opens, you know what I mean? And there they walk out. I mean, that's just incredible stuff, man. Absolutely incredible stuff. Now, I just want to skim through some things and in the process, hopefully, because I have many of you asking me questions from time to time, which I love about book revelation and certain things in there. Let me just say this. Understanding this dynamic of, you know, what I'm just calling here, what did I call it? Ice to see, you know, what do we see? Um, the second Corinthians chapter three, and I'm not turning there. The second Corinthians three, you'll probably know the scriptures. Paul speaks and he says, of course, that was in the first century. But he said, even unto this day, when Moses is read the scriptures, he said, a veil lies over their hearts and blinds them. They can't see the law. Exactly. The law of Moses has blinded them because in earlier in the chapter, he said the law written and engraved in stones is a ministry of death and condemnation, all right? And so we've talked at length about that. The law was not meant to give life. It was meant to reveal sin and death and to empower and enforce sin and death over man. So man would call for mercy, all right? So the law was never given to make us holy. It was given to reveal to us how unholy we were and the help that we needed in the form of God's mercy and grace. And so that law blinded them. And, and you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, The Pharisees in particular, they, they had what they called fence laws. You ever heard of this? Fence laws? You ever looked at any of that? So like, you know, the Jews wouldn't say the name of God, right? So that was a fence law because one of the commandments was don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Don't take the name of God in vain. So they wouldn't even say God's name because... That it was a fence. So here's the law. Don't take it in vain. Well, we're going to up, up, we're going to one up that. We're going to do better than God gave us. And we're going to improve that law and be more legalistic. We won't even say his name at all. 
So there's no chance that we'll even take it in vain. Well, how dumb is that? But all these fence laws that were added to, these traditions and doctrines of men that made God's power and word of none effect, all right? And then you get into 1 Corinthians 14, and all, you know, one of the laws that they had was women must, I joke with Kara about, because Paul wasn't enforcing this. Paul was coming against this, this at the end of 1 Corinthians 14. It was one of their laws, not one of God's laws. It was one of their fence addition laws that the women that they brought in to, to church uh, women must be silent in the church, you know that. And so I tease Kara sometimes. I say, well, you know, we say it all the time. Uh, church isn't where you go; it's who we are. We're the church, and you must be silent in the church. You know. So is that right? There you go. You get sick, man. <laughs> you know. But the Book of Revelation, in my opinion and in most of church history's understanding is not about our future but it's about the passing away of the old covenant world and the establishment and coming about in creation of the new covenant world all right it was about an old heaven and earth and a new heaven and earth now to the jews they referred to their temple as heaven and earth all right um like when Jesus, in multiple places, Matthew 5 and Matthew 24, Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not. He wasn't, I mean, it's fine to say that, but not to say that. But it's fine, you know, people say, well, you know, they, they think it means the physical world. Well, that's not harmful, that's fine. But specifically, Jesus was talking about the temple, because the Jews understood, because that was their question at the beginning of the chapter. And that, Lord, when will these things happen? What things? You guys are talking about Matthew chapter 24, when these things happen. And they were asking about the end of the age. God help us, the King James put the word, the end of the world. But it's the Greek word age. And most of your translations translated age. Lord, when will these things happen? And they were asking about uh, the end of the age there. And Jesus said, Matthew 24, 34, he said, Truly I say to you, this generation, talking to his first century audience, not to us, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, the temple, but my words will not. All right? And then even in... Uh James, how's that go? Uh, Jane, is that you quoting that? How's it going? I'm trying to get it right. Yeah. I, I can't quote it. Not just, not one daughter shall pass away. Yeah. We'll have it in earth. Yeah. You get the point, right? Some people are looking it up. I can't, my wires aren't there this morning. They're connected to a different <coughs> software. So, in my brain, it's still the bad one, apparently. But, uh, in other words, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away. That's it. So if it's not the physical, if he was talking about the physical cosmos, heaven and earth, we're still under the law because not one jot or tittle of the law would pass away until heaven and earth passes away. So we're still under the fullness of the law if he was talking about the physical cosmos. But see, we're reading an ancient Eastern genre of writing in scripture and we are over here 2,000 years removed trying to use a modern uh, Western mindset well we got to do everything that we can to put ourselves in their mindset to, to you, you know you want to be as objective as possible so you don't want to interpret uh, scripture through the daily news headlines in the 21st century in other words you want to interpret scripture in light of scripture I want you to notice this here. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm just going to go through a few things here about what do we see, all right? And we want to see things from God's perspective, the heavenly places perspective, where we're seated, all right? Check this out. Revelation 1, 1. Now look here. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that verse 1 is the word apocalypse. That's where we get the word apocalypse. 
So that's why this book is called The Apocalypse, which is the revelation. In the Greek, it means the unveiling, the revealing. What is it? The revelation of Jesus Christ. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ. The unveiling, the making clear. And in the Greek, it even speaks of making bare, open, or naked, making plain to see. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now notice this. Which God gave to him to show his bondservants the things which must what? Somebody say it louder. Soon take place. So when this revelation was given to John, the things contained within the book would happen soon. You see there, right? Now notice this. And he sent communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John to testify the word of God, the testimony of Jesus, to all that he saw. We're talking about what do we see? And as you go through the book of Revelation, you see this progression of, you know, the angel and the, you know, exhorting and ministering to John, come and see, come and see, come and see. And then as you get through the book, it gets to, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw. That's the premise of the whole book. What do you see? It's a revelation. And Paul prayed in Ephesians 1 that we would have a revelation of Jesus and what we have in him. And the book of Revelation is by far the most Hebrew Old Testament book in all the New Testament. It's even more Old Testament Old Testamenty than Hebrews. So we're trying to interpret this. I mean, if this book is plagiarism upon plagiarism. I mean, half the book is nothing but quotations of Old Testament scripture. But here we are trying to interpret it through CNN and Fox, and we don't know what in the world we're talking about. Because these were things that back then must soon take place. Not today. All right? Now look at verse 3. Blessed. Now what does Ephesians 1 say? We're seated in Jesus with all what? Blessings. So blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. Why? For what? The time is near. So 2,000 years ago, he tells John, John, this apocalypse of Jesus, this unveiling it, what was veiling him? What was blocking and blinding their sight from seeing Jesus properly and accurately? The law of Moses. All right? And, and uh, pretty much in all of Paul's letters, he has to deal with this issue of Jewish legalism and sometimes Greek paganism, but mostly Jewish legalism coming in and infecting and polluting the purity of the revelation of Jesus and his grace, right? That was pretty much Paul's ministry, and Paul said that literally in Acts chapter 20, that his ministry was to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Now notice this, blessed is he who hears the words and he said, so in verse 1, what did he say? Soon take place. In verse 3, what's he say? The time is near. Now, I want to show you just a few things as we go through this. I want to help you because we, as he said there in verse 3, and turn to chapter 6 if you would, but um, we want to understand that this book is a revelation of Jesus. And then what did he say? Blessed is the person who reads, hears the words of this prophecy, and takes heed. So even for us, even though these are not about 21st century geopolitical events, but they were about 1st century uh, religious primarily, and some political events uh, with Rome and the Jewish people. But we want to understand that there is a blessing on this unveiling of Jesus. So, you know, just understanding that the word apocalypse that alone is enough to keep you high all week because all of us have been told for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years that apocalypse means the world crumbling and falling and, you know, set on fire, the world's on fire and airplanes crashing and nukes going off and, you know, I mean, just, it's a bad, no, I mean, it literally means, it can't mean that. Hollywood has hijacked that or somebody has made it mean something that it doesn't mean. They don't have the right to define it. The scripture does. And the, the revelation or the apocalypse is a good thing. We need and want, and as Paul did in Ephesians 1, need to be continuously praying for an apocalypse of Jesus in our hearts and unveiling a revelation of Jesus in our hearts. And many times through Paul's letters and the other New Testament authors, they'll say something about re revealed, 
revelation that you may see. Very often in the Greek, it's the word apocalypse. And it just means to see, to reveal, to, to accurately perceive. Now, I want to help you here with a few things. Can you imagine reading your book of Revelation and enjoying it? Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, that'd be worth the price of admission alone, wouldn't it? And God, I mean, my God, God forbid we ever understand it. It's the only book that literally says a revelation at the title, and we don't understand jack about it. You know? It's the only book that, by its very title, claims to reveal something. And here we are saying, I don't know, it's too dark and cryptic. No, it's a revelation of Jesus. So who's right here? Jesus or uh, You know what I'm saying? And I've said it. Don't misunderstand me, but thank God you learned, and the truth makes you free, right? Amen. And so... A revelation of Jesus. So I want to help us to see this. A few things, and I know it's 1228. If you have to leave, by all means, I just, I'm going to blaze through a few things that I think will help you significantly. Um, look at Revelation 6. Look at verse 12. And I'll be as quick as I can here while still making sense. And I'm not joking about leaving if you have to. I get it. We usually try to close right around 1230, uh, but I, I just want to share a few extra things with you today. Revelation 612. Now notice this. He said, I looked. So what's that? I looked. So here, here he is. Here's this unveiling. He's, here he is. This apocalypse. He's seeing some things. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. And this now, now let me let me share a tidbit with you here as I'm reading this. In the book of Revelation. The words world and earth are used, I think, 81 times. I've counted it myself. I think 81 times. I don't remember offhand, but upwards of the high 70s, low 80s. World and earth. Only three times is it the Greek word cosmos, which means the physical creation. All-encompassing. One of them is when it says the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. That's one of them. I can't remember the other two offhand. Every other time, it's the Greek words, just listen to the, the point, I guess. Gay, G-E, or oikamene. Oikamene, even now, there's, there's Greek yogurt called oikos. It's, called, it's from oikamene. Oikamene is like in Luke chapter 2 when it says that Caesar taxed the whole world. A census went out and he, you know, for the whole world. Well, that's the word oikamene. It's the Roman Empire. He didn't tax the aboriginals, you know. He wasn't taxing the natives in America, as far as I can tell, but the Roman conquered world. Caesar, you know, put the census out and all that. On. So that's oikamene. And then the other one, gays, is the word for, it just, it means, uh, it just means Palestine or Judea, the land, what we would call the land of Israel. All right. And these, and see, we don't know that. And so we see the words world and earth, and we automatically think it means the entire physical cosmos, all through the New Testament. All right, uh, but very often uh, it does not refer to that. So think about that. Just that little tidbit. How does that shift your understanding? Oh, I think 81 times the words "world" and "earth" are used in the Book of Revelation, somewhere around that vicinity, and only three times is it the Greek word "cosmos" for the whole creation. Every other time it's the Roman Empire or the land of Palestine, the land of Judea, the land of Israel. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Uh, I could have showed you that Revelation chapter 1. I guess I can. Hold your finger in uh, chapter 6. Let me show you something in Revelation 1. All right, verse 7. And boy, I just don't have enough time. It says, Behold, he's coming with clouds. Coming with clouds is an Old Testament uh, idiom. A Hebrew idiom. It, it refers to a judgment coming. It, it doesn't mean because you got one place you got Jesus on clouds, another place you got Jesus on a horse in Revelation. So what's he going to do? Be on a horse that's on clouds? <laughs> Not what it's talking about. It's hyperbolic. It's raining cats and dogs. You know, I mean, it's an idiom. It's a an expression that they, Isaiah 19 talks about Yahweh coming in the cloud.
in judgment on Babylon. Psalms chapter, I think, 88 talks that he, he rides the chariots and the clouds are his covering. It's a judgment coming. The Jewish people understood this clearly. They never, when, Je when Jesus, oh, they, what will be the sign of your coming? Well, if it was a visible physical coming, they wouldn't need a sign. They would just see him. Right. Hello. <laughs> All right. Now, look, he's coming with the clouds. And look at this. Every eye will see him. But he qualifies it. That is, or even those who pierced him. So they had to be alive when this coming happened. Those who pierced him. And all, now this is, here we go. All the tribes of the earth. That is not the Greek word cosmos. All the tribes, tribes, that's the Jewish people. And some of your translations might say, or should say, all the tribes of the land. Revelation 1-7. That's a better translation because it's the Greek word gay. All the the Jewish people. That's why in Matthew chapter 24 you have the same thing about the tribes of the earth or the tribes of the land. The Jewish land. Because he was coming in judgment on the old covenant system and allowing the temple to be destroyed which signified the end of that age in 70 AD. Alright? Back to chapter 6. And this is being reported so you can go back and watch this. <laughs> you know, very quickly here though, and I'm doing my best to hurry. Check this out. Verse 12 says, and it's up here, says, I looked when he broke the sixth field, there was a great earthquake. Now notice this. The sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. And the whole moon became blood. Next verse, verse 13. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth. Now, now think with me here, ladies and gentlemen. The sun became black as sackcloth. Sun. Moon became as blood. Moon. Stars of the sky fell to the earth. Sun, moon, and stars. Now in scripture, what do the sun, moon, and stars speak of? Somebody say it. Israel. Genesis, what did Joseph dream? That the sun, moon, and stars bowed down to him. Who was his, who was, who was Joseph's dad? Israel. Jacob, Israel. The sun, moon, and stars always speak of natural, old covenant Israel. They never speak unless it's like, you know, you have a singular, you know, Abraham, look at the stars. You know what I'm saying? But when you see sun, moon, and stars, like in Joel chapter 2, and then Peter took that in Acts chapter 2 and said, this is that, which was pro prophesied by the prophet Joel. And then he talks about the sun, sun moon, and stars, and black, and uh, fall to the earth. And what, what it was prophetic language saying, it is lights out for old covenant Israel. You could just say it. We would say lights out. Game over. Lights out. That their shining as the people of God is no more. Even Daniel in chapter 12 talked about the righteous Jewish people shining as the star. For Joel 2, Acts 2, Revelation 11, all through the New Testament, when you see it used this way, always means. Now think with me here, folks. Uh, look, look at verse 13. The stars of the sky fell to the earth, and that's not the Greek word cosmos, so it's not a worldwide event. Fell to the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, just think with me. If one literal physical star could somehow float through the atmosphere and reach planet Earth and hit it, what would happen? There would be no more people, no more Earth, no more nothing. Game over, lights out, the end, good night, see you in heaven. But this says stars plural. He's not talking about literal physical cosmic events. The book of Revelation is not about the passing away of a cosmos. It's about the passing away of an old covenant or an old heaven and earth. And Jane just hit the nail on the head. How exciting. The book of does this make sense? If, if one, yeah. And that's the thing. Oh my God. Yeah. Revelation finally makes sense. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's a good thing. And that doesn't mean I have all the answers, but I know a little more than I used to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> words getting out. 
I mean, look at the next verse. The sky was split apart like a scroll, and then it's rolled up. Every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Look at, I mean, you go through all these verses here, hiding from the wrath of the Lamb. Well, if one literal star hit this planet, there wouldn't be 12 more chapters or whatever. Chapters 7 through 22. I'm terrible at math, but 15, I don't know. There wouldn't, it would be at the end. Grace for Lord Jesus be with you all. You know, that would be it. Now, all right, moving once again as quickly as I can. Look at, um, and, and I meant what I said when you have to go by all means. You get into chapter 7, and what do you see here? I heard the number of those who were sealed. Verse, chapter 7, verse 4, 144,000. And people get into all kinds of crazy stuff with this, man. You've got cults that are built on only 144,000 people ever will actually be saved. No, what's he talking about here? And he goes through the Jewish tribes. You know, he says the sons of Israel. Tribe of Judah, 12,000. Tribe of Reuben. What's he talking about? He's talking about the first century remnant of Jewish believers. The, he's talking about people from every tribe of the Jewish people. Of course, they didn't all believe on the Messiah, but some, there was a remnant. God always has his remnant, Romans 9 and different places. A remnant, because we know it went to the Gentiles too, but thank God some of the Jewish people also received their Messiah. And so there was some, now notice what does it say? They were sealed. Now isn't it crazy that forgive me because I've been there. I'm not casting stones because I've been there. I'm just saying like thank God we learned. If you look at um, boy, a little more time. Um. Well, let's turn to, turn to chapter 10, and then uh, I just want you to see a few things here. In my, this, my first closing. First closing. <laughs> but see, you have this sealed, right? But then you have this, you know, the mark of the beast. Ooh. Oh, I bought something at the checkout, and it was $6.66. I better add a pack of gum, because I don't want 66 cents. <laughs> you know, we, we get silly with it. And then everything and everybody has been the Antichrist, at least during election time, right? I mean, you know. So we have the seal and the mark on the on the remnant of Jewish believers in the first century. All right? And then God seals them and protects them. He even said it in the next chapter. Uh, we didn't read it there, but uh, where he says, you know, harm certain parts of the land, but don't harm the people that are sealed and marked. And then, but then we get to this seal and this mark. You know, you had a seal and a mark on uh, Cain, but then you get to this mark of the beast on the hand of the head, and we think it means a chip or something. You know, you had Gorbachev with the mark on his head, so that was a mark on his head. Ah, he's the Antichrist, which the word Antichrist is literally not in the book of Revelation one time at all. Not there. Not once, not twice, not 15, not 20. It's not there. Won't find it, can't find it. It's not there. All right. Now, which, by the way, 1 John chapter 2, John literally identifies the Antichrist. No ambiguity, no guessing, no crazy theories, no nothing. It's there. Verses 18 and 20. Go read it. Later. All right. Now, <laughs> now look at this. Verse 1. Revelation 10, 1. I saw another strong angel. The, the Greek for angel is, I don't know how you say it, but angelos, 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 and it means a messenger. All right. So I saw another strong messenger coming out of heaven, clothed with what? Cloud and covenant of peace. And his face was like the sun. I've heard this somewhere. And his feet like pillars of fire. I've heard this somewhere. And he had in his hand a little book which was open. And he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. Now, in the book of Revelation, when it speaks of the sea, very often it speaks of the Gentiles because Jerusalem, Judea, but particularly Jerusalem, was like an, uh, an ancient, you know, a New York City. It was a major place of commerce, all right? And so, and that's why you get later on in the book of Revelation where she's called a, a whore of Babylon. She's a whore because she's whoring with the other nations instead of staying faithful to God in that old covenant system, right? And so... 
The, the sea speaks of the Gentiles. The land here speaks of the land of Judea. Jesus is Lord of Jew and Gentile. There's one Lord, one faith. He tore down the middle wall of division and created one new creation, Ephesians chapter 2. So, and then later on when it speaks of, uh, and the, the, there were no more seas, that's because there's no more Gentiles outside of Christ. Hello, all right? He cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars, when he cried, uh, the heaven uh, thundered, all these things here. Now, so we understand, can we just guess who this messenger is? King Jesus, perhaps? Does that mean, you see these things coming together? Verse 9, I, I, I went to the angel uh, telling him to give me the little book. Now look at this. He said, take it and eat it. It'll be bitter. Uh, it'll make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it'll be sweet as honey. What's that speak of? Curses and blessings. The curses of the Old Testament system, but the sweetness of the honey, the land flowing with milk and honey, which spoke of the promised land, which while a real physical land for those old covenant saints, pointed to a greater spiritual land called new covenant salvation in Jesus. Right? So this speaks of the curses coming on the old covenant people who rejected Messiah when he finally came, but the blessings of those who received Messiah. All right? So we see that there. I ate it. It was sweet as honey, and then it made my stomach bitter. He said to me, you must prophesy again, many peoples, nations, kings. Second closing, next chapter. Look at this. Verse, chapter 11, verse 1. There was given to me a measuring rod, like a staff. Someone said, go and measure the temple of God. So this had to be written when the temple was standing. So book of Revelation was not written in 96 AD. It was written before 70 AD, as most of the evidence clearly points to, if you ever look into it and study it. The altar, but look what he says here in verse 12. Leave out the, the court, which is outside the temple, and don't measure it. For it has been given to the Gentiles, the, Roman, the Romans who invaded Jerusalem. For it's been given to the nations, Gentiles. They will tread it underfoot for how long? How long is 42 months? Three and a half years. And I'm just going to throw this out there. Come talk to me afterwards if you need to. There is not a single scripture anywhere in your Bible that says there's a seven-year Great Tribulation. Not one. Do any of you know who Irvin Baxter is? Yes. A TV preacher? I, I don't know. You know, I'm not a futurist, but I, at the very least, he's the only TV preacher of my head that I have seen affirm this on national television that there is nothing in the Bible about a seven year great tribulation it's always three and a half years 42 months and he's exactly people the Jews is broken as as they are destroyed for uh, times times half time or in chapter 12 uh, he, he just puts 1260 days uh, three and a half years repeatedly three and a half years three and a half years three and a half years all right, now, so we see that there. Now look at the next verse. And I will grant, now here's another one of our, because with the mark of the beast, it was Gorbachev, right? And then it was Ronald Reagan, because Ronald has six letters, his middle name had six letters, and Reagan had six letters. 666. So he was the mark of the beast. And God knows Obama was the Antichrist, right? And then it was for sure Hillary or Trump, or maybe both of them, we don't know. But, I mean, somebody, every election cycle, there's a new Antichrist, you know, and or then it's, I remember when it was now smartphones, which this is a tablet, but because where is it at? It's in your hand or on your head. So now these are the, the you know, you're going to, all of you are, you can't be redeemed unless you, you know, you're done. So, you know, all these things. Uh, it's always, you know, they're going to put chips in our hands and. You know, or, I mean, it's just always, and I'm not saying I'm going to trip in my hand, if that, you know, necessarily, I, I don't know, I'm just saying it's not going to send you to hell if that ever actually comes about, and I doubt it will, but whatever. Um, it was a first century relevant. By the way, and some of you will appreciate this, and I know I'm going so long here, yeah, uh, but these things need to be covered for us. Um, some of the old variants, you know, the Bible didn't fall out of heaven. God actually worked through people to give us inspired scripture. Some of the old scriptures 
record the number of the beast as 616, not 666. And it gets into, and boy, go on my Facebook page, Jordan Org, I posted a video of a guy who explains this slowly and succinctly last night. It's public, you can, you can watch it about 15 minutes long. But Nero Caesar, his number was 666 in Greek because they didn't have a numerical system like we have. So letters were assigned numerical value. All right, so 666 was, if you take the letter N, or what we would call N, for Nero, N-E-R-O-N, it would be ascribed a value of like 50. I mean, this was common knowledge. They only had like 22 letters. Each uh, letter had a numerical value. So you wouldn't write the number five, you would write the letter that was for the number five, because they didn't have that, all right? So Nero Caesar, in Greek, the Greek letters with the numerical value added to them in total is equals 666. But if you took it from Latin, now we know Latin was a prominent language even then because there was, you know, Jerome did the Latin Vulgate, you know, a very famous Bible of time. If it was in Latin, from the Latin letters and their numerical value, Nero Caesar came out to the numerical value of 616. And I'm pretty sure there might even be some modern English Bibles that put his number as 616. So that's why. So we don't have to guess about this. We don't have to worry about a chip in our hand. We know who these things applied to and who they, who they went to. Now, so right here he said, I will grant authority to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for how long? 1260 days. How long is that? Three and a half years. So during the three and a half year invasion by the Romans over the Jewish people, which resulted in the utter destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, is there a Jewish temple today? No. Why not? Because it was destroyed 2,000 years ago by the Romans over three and a half years. All right? Um, it says these witnesses will prophesy. Now think about the book of Deuteronomy and then think about many places in the New Testament. Every word will be established in the mouth of what? Two or three witnesses. What are these witnesses? The law and the prophets. So during this three and a half years, these Jewish people are being starved to death. They're being killed for sport. They're being set on fire. Baby, I mean, it's a horrendous, nasty, god-awful event at that time, all right? I'm trying to be, sorry. Uh, the law and the prophets, the witnesses, were screaming out to the Jewish people who knew their scriptures. This was the reality of what was happening. You rejected your Messiah. In Genesis chapter 50, uh, Deuteronomy, the curses that were Moses described in all the old covenant last days. All right? Um, I think I need to stop here because it's just went so long. Uh, look, look at verse 6. These witnesses have the power to shut up the sky so that it won't rain. That's Elijah. Elijah prophesied to wicked king Ahab that it will not rain except at my word. All right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. During the days of their prophesying, they had the power to turn the, the waters to blood. Who's that? Moses. The law and the prophets are testifying and witnessing to the Jews. You brought this on yourself by rejecting your Messiah. All right? Strike the earth with every plague, law and the prophets. Now, look at verse 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city because that whole system was being overcome by the Romans which is spiritually or mystically called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So here's one of the more plain examples in Revelation that's showing us that he's using metaphor and idiom and hyperbole. He's showing us what he's doing here. Was Jesus crucified in Sodom or Egypt? 
So he's saying here that Jerusalem had become so wicked, so against God's truth, so against their covenant, so vile that they are comparable to Sodom and Egypt. You see that? All right. Um, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate. They will send gifts to one another because these two prophets uh, tormented those who, who dwell on the earth. So they were rejoicing because they, there's no longer a religious system pointing out their sin. All right. But after three and a half days, the breath of life of God will come into them. And they stood on their feet, uh, and great fear fell on those who were watching. Boy, he goes into all this stuff. People say, is this Moses? It's, is it Elijah? It's not, in my opinion. Uh, it's the law and the prophets. And even though they thought they stomped out that system, it lived through the new covenant people of God. All right? So, anyways. Um, I don't want to stop the boy. I just... And it's almost one, so so we'll stop because this is bitter and sweet, right? Like that scroll. Like it's, <laughs> it's good, but we need to stop. All right, so we'll presumably continue in this vein next week, and it won't take as long because we've got this started here. I don't have to set up so much from Ephesians, but I want us to see that what we see is important, and that's the whole premise of Revelation. And when we take it out of the 21st century modern concept, we understand it was written by a Jewish believer to Jewish believers about their times because these events would soon take place. The time is near. I think 12 times in the book of Revelation, it says these things will soon take place. The time is at hand. The time is near. I mean, how often can we just read those scriptures and say, no, I don't care what you say. It's about 2,000 years later. Stuff in those days. No. Either John and the Holy Spirit through John were right, or we are, and I'm usually trying to side with him. Best I can. So, okay. As we dismiss, and I know you probably won't, just want to leave any questions about any of this, or just kind of comments. And I don't. I'm not one of those. You know, I don't demand that you guys agree with me. But I do. You know, as a minister, I minister what I believe is the truth that will help people. And so, any. Thoughts, questions, comments? And of course, next week we'll show you some just things that will just, it just gets better. Because this is still midstream. You know, and so we'll get into the heavenly Jerusalem and uh, the water of life that runs through the city and oh, boy, it's just good stuff. We need, Lord, we pray as we leave today for an apocalypse, a revelation of King Jesus. And Lord, even if I'm wrong, and these are about modern or one day yet events, we can still be blessed by looking at it this way. So Lord, we thank you for giving us, and we pray with Paul that you give us an unveiling of Jesus, of our being raised up and seated in him and blessed with his blessings. We thank you that an old heaven and earth passed away. And then a new covenant, a new and better covenant, a new system, a new and life-giving way, a new Jerusalem, a new heaven and earth has come. And we are citizens of this kingdom, this heavenly Jerusalem, Lord. We love you and we bless you. Lord, I pray you help us to comprehend some of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise God. Thank you, guys. God bless the Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.